Good morning. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. You know, God does a lot of things in worship. And this morning, you know, the Holy Spirit moved here in a, in a unique way. I, some of you were had a big smile on your face. Some of you were weeping, but... It's just how God works in our hearts to realign us with him. And I believe that, again, as we read his word, that worship part opens our heart up to his Holy Spirit that actually wrote these words that we read so that it goes into our heart and we remember. So when we are challenged with the issues of life, that we don't, we don't lose faith, lose heart, but that we just say, okay, God, I'm going to continue to see you through. And through it all, we win. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come. And Lord, cause these words to be part of our lives and part of our hearts. And that, God, we would understand that you have a big plan. And we're part of your plan. And so as we spend this time in study of your word this morning, may your Holy Spirit again speak to us, and you're welcome here, to do your work in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we left off in chapter 37. We'll pick it up there. But chapter 37 deals with the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, Jacob, in his having these sons and all from different women, there was a lot of chiding within the home. There was a lot of of, uh, sibling rivalries, if you will. Uh, Oh, dad likes you best. No dad likes you best. What there was one that stood out among them all, and that was Joseph. Joseph was one that was from his wife that he loved, And he was the favored son. And there was a jealousy amongst the other brothers concerning this individual, this son Joseph. So when we look at it today, we find that he was on his way up. Now you'll notice this in your life, and sometimes it's very painful. But as God begins to elevate you into what he wants you to do in your life, there is oftentimes pain along the way. And I don't know whether you want to call it growing pains or whether it's just part of God as he moves us where he wants us to be. There is that jealousy that comes from outside of God's domain to stop God's work in your life. And you'll always find it. Now, one of the things we find as God begins to elevate Joseph into being really down the road, we're going to find how him, through him being in Egypt, becoming the the prime minister right under Pharaoh's hand, preserved through a famine the nation of Israel. God has a plan. But on his way of doing so, we find that Joseph went through many, many tears and many hard things. And he began to tell his brothers and his family, I had a dream and it was the sun and the moon and the stars and they all bowed down to me. Oh, they became outraged. We're going to bow down to you? No way. But that's exactly what happened 
in the days to come in the famine. But interestingly enough, in Revelation chapter 11, the Bible says there's a woman clothed with the moon and the stars and the sun. And she's about ready to have a man-child. Now, because we have this in the book of Genesis 37, we know that's speaking about the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, brought forth the man-child, Christ Jesus, to be the Savior of the world. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that as soon as the baby was born, it was, it was, the devil tried to devour it. And that's exactly what happened. And remember, Joseph, being warned in a dream, took Mary and they headed off to Egypt until Herod was dead. And so we find that through the Bible, it all interlaces, works with one another. And this is why when we study God's word, line upon line, precept upon precept, it helps us understand the entirety of God's word. That's one of the great problems you'll find with a lot of times on the internet, people teaching revelation. Having never read the rest of the Bible, but if you don't read the rest of the Bible, you won't know what Revelation is about. The Bible does the commentary on the book of Revelation. So who are the sun, moon, and stars? The nation of Israel. And Jacob, these sons of Jacob, Joseph said, you're going to bow down to me. They were incensed. They were jealous. Let's go to verse 12, Genesis 37. We'll pick it up. A little bit review, but for those that weren't here last week. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now Shechem, if you remember, is where the the brothers of of Jacob, um, or maybe I said the sons of Jacob, killed almost every, well, killed all the men in the town. Uh, really bad scene here. And so it's interesting that they go back to a place of great murder. Now you're going to find they're plotting the murder of their own brother. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, please go and see if it's well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent out, sent him out in the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him. There he was wandering in the field. And the man said to him, what are you looking for? So he said to him, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. Now, evidently, these flocks were pretty large. Je- Joseph, recognizing the ground being trampled down, would show that there had been something going on there. And so he was looking for which way they were going. He was looking for the, 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 the trail, the, the path by which they went. And the man said, they have departed from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found him in Dothan. Now, when they were afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against Joseph to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. Now, by the way, friends, when God uses you, You will be mocked by some and you'll be praised by others. In fact, the Bible says to some, you're the fragrance of life and to others, you're the stench of death. Why? Because if you're in alignment with God's purpose, you're going to, you're going to be a blessing. 
If you're opposition to God's purpose for your life, you're going to be that which brings conviction in their life. And people don't like that. And so they said, come, the dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, now let us kill him, cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him, and we will see what will, be, what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him here in this pit, which is in the wilderness, probably a cistern, which they would use to collect water in. And don't lay a hand on him that he, we might deliver him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father, literally at a later time. So that was the idea. Uh, Reuben, the oldest, comes to the rescue of Joseph saying, yeah, I know you want to kill him. Let's just put him here. And then, and he was going to come back and get him later. Came to pass, Joseph had came to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his coat of many colors and that was on him. And they took him and cast him into the pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted up their eyes and look, there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, myrrh on their way to carry them down to a swap meet in Egypt. I added that last part. But really, that's what they were. They were, they were traitors. And as they're coming along, they got all this stuff and they had an idea. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our flesh, and his brothers listened. And the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now you look at this and you think about this for a minute. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was placed in a tomb and when he came out of the tomb he became our redeemer. Now there's something we have to remember because he proved that he had power over death. His blood was shed for us for the remission of sins but when he came back to life that gave all of us that life and hope eternal. So it says here that Reuben returned to the pit to come and get him. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, his coat of many colors, killed a kid of, of goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Here you find the shedding of blood to cover their sins. It's interesting all the way through the Bible, you'll see these picture types of Christ. Jesus said again, search the scriptures, in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. And so they killed an animal, dipped his coat in the blood to deceive their father in saying that he was slain by a wild animal. And so they sent the tunic of many colors 
And they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Now, I'm really amazed here on some people in their deceit. In fact, I'm really amazed at the hardness of heart. Notice, let's go back just for a minute. And it says, they took their brother, verse 24, put him into a pit. There was no water in it, so there wasn't even anything for him to drink. They put him in a pit, and they sat down and ate a meal. Boy, I'll tell you, you got to have a pretty hard heart. You know, you're going to do something like that. I mean, that would keep me up for a a, a year of of that kind of wickedness. But these guys, they could actually prepare to kill their brother, put him in a pit, uh, pit, starve him of water, you know, uh, thirst and, and no water and sit down and eat a meal like no big deal. Wow. Tells you how hard part people can be. And so it says, and when he recognized it, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Now, you got to remember, Jacob was the great deceiver too. Remember, he's the one that put the animal skins on his arms and went out and deceived his uh, father to give him the blessing. That's what his name meant, by the way. Jacob means heel catcher or dirty sneaky thief. That was his name. I don't know why anybody would name their kid Dirty Sneaky Thief, but that's what they named him because he came out of his mother's womb holding his brother's heel. Now, looking at this, you realize a couple of pretty stark things here. One, the hardness of men's hearts. Number two, you reap what you sow. Now, this is a biblical principle. And we have to always remember, the good news is, you sow good, you'll reap good. You sow wickedness, you reap wickedness. Why? Because our lives are an expression of God on this earth. Those who have chose to serve him, you're laying up eternal reward. Those who have rejected the salvation of Jesus Christ will receive an eternal punishment. So he says here, he's been torn to pieces. He came to that conclusion. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth uh, on his waist and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Imagine trying to comfort your father on a murder that you committed as you watch your, your dad uh, in, in, in brokenhearted grief. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, you wonder how hard people's hearts can get. You know, Hearts Made of Stone, there was a song years ago written called Hearts Made of Stone. And you look at that and you say, please, please break. But they don't, because again, it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life to cause a heart of stone to be broken so that the Holy Spirit can begin to work in that individual. And so it says, he would not be comforted. For he said, I'll go down into the grave to my son's mourning. Thus his father wept for him. What a terrible thing. Can you imagine the guilt of these sons watching their father weep, saying, I'm going to go down to the grave in mourning because of of this that has happened. All the while knowing that everything that they put their father through was a lie. Verse 36. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, 
an officer, a pharaoh, captain of the guard. The word Potiphar indicates that he was probably a eunuch, which would probably give us a little more insight of the shenanigans with Potiphar's wife and Joseph later on down the road. But it gives us a little bit of an understanding that God's hand was still on Joseph. Now, sometimes in our lives, we'll ask as a Christian, God, if you love me, why must I go through this period of my life? And I really believe it's because God is preparing us for what's to come. And I've shared this story many times. I was with a friend out at and, uh, um, Sam and Dam. And he had gone through a lot of things. He had an air conditioning business and he had been through a lot of really hard things. And he said, well, Mike, he said, if these things are preparing me for what is to come, I'm terrified what is coming. I think we've all felt like that. But that doesn't mean that what God is going to do in your life is bad. You see, in other words, God builds into you abilities to govern He builds into your life the ability to reason. He he builds into you the ability to recognize something that isn't right. And I believe this is what God was doing in Joseph's life. Because through the course of life, we learn lessons. And through the course of life, we see God's handiwork manifested in our life. In other words, if I never had anything go wrong in my life, I would never develop the skills to cope with things. Thus, I couldn't really guide anybody else to say, hey, been there, got that. Uh, I know what it's like. God's going to see you through. How many times actually in our own lives have we seen God's divine miraculous hand deliver us from whatever it might be, not being able to pay the rent or we need a job or, or does, does Lindy Lou love me or doesn't love me? All those things that we go through in life and God gets us through and we're going, hallelujah, oh, thank you, Jesus, until the next trial comes. And then we go, where are you, God? <laughs> I've, I, I've seen this in my own life. But see, God begins to build in us and saying, look, Haven't I always been faithful in the past? Won't I be faithful in the future? You trust me with your life in eternity forever in heaven. Trust me now. Well, I know, God, I can trust you with eternity, but I don't know if I can trust you for tomorrow. God allows us to go through things to build in us the character that all of us are going to need in the days to come. You see, again, we have to understand that it's through the valleys that we go through is where the growth is. Fruit never grows on top of mountains, friends. It's grown in the valleys. Crops are never grown on top of mountains. They're grown in the valleys. The fruit of your life, the fruit of your spirit comes when we go through these times, seemingly when we say, God, where are you? But in the process of us saying, God, where are you? This is the very time that God is elevating us to where he wants us to be. Now, again, there's a couple things that happen. One, as God does that, there is jealousy. And you have to remember that because people don't see God in you. You see God because you've been trained by the Holy Spirit to see God in your life. That's why we read the Bible. Again, as this morning, as we worship, we're trained to see God in things through it all. We see the Lord. But the world doesn't see that. All they see is you on your way up. Now, I found a couple of things. 
One, they're jealous for what you have. But more than that, and I think this is where the brothers came in, as they said, we'll see what comes of his dreams. They're afraid of what you are going to become. Remember, right now, today, you may not be a threat to the kingdom of darkness, as God is building in you the things of the future. But I guarantee you, you will be in the days to come. And why is that? Because the devil has limited knowledge. It's interesting in the Bible, there was a woman in the book of Acts who was possessed with what was called familiar spirit. It wasn't the shrieking demoniac type that you find in Gadara where the guy was living in the, in the tombs and cutting himself and, and, and had supernatural strength and would break the chains that they'd put on him. No, this demonic spirit was one that could tell fortunes. The devil has limited knowledge of the future. He doesn't know everything. But he has limited knowledge of the future. That's why sometimes you'll see people that say, well, yeah, I went to a seance or I, a Ouija board or I got in a crystal ball or whatever. And what, ha- what they said really happened. Yeah, it's because there's real demons, friends. But that's not a sign that it's from God. And this is one of the great problems that we have because people in the world cannot discern between good and evil. They cannot discern between God and the devil. And so because of that, they don't see God in you. But they sense maybe what you're going to become. And you'll find this oftentimes in your life that there will be persecution against you. Now, I'm not talking about like maybe in the sedan, but I am talking about people being mean to you, whether it be at work or sometimes even in church, where people are fearful of how God will use you in the future. But you can never look at people for your value or your self-worth. It comes from God. We hear a lot today in the psychological world of of self-esteem. Well, you don't need self-esteem. What you need is God-esteem. It's not what I think of me. It's what God thinks of me. And because God puts in you and me what he wants for his desired purpose down the road, as I surrender my life to him, I accept Christ as my savior. God says, okay, construction begins. Now, again, you'll find that under construction can be a little comfortable, can be a little bit of an inconvenience. You ever come up to a road where you, you can look across the field and see right where you want to go, like when they were working on the road out here in front, and I wanted to get to the church, and they go, well, the road's closed. Uh, they're doing something here on the intersection. So you had to turn around, go all the way back around, three miles out of the way to literally almost cross the street. But you'll find in life there's a lot of inconveniences when we're under construction because God is building into us the things that are going to be needed in the days to come. You can just go out and lay asphalt across an old farmer's field out here. Looks real pretty till you try to drive a truck on it. And it just crushes down and goes into the soft dirt. Won't take you anywhere. No, there's a foundation that has to go into a building or a road or your life. And God knows what he's doing. Now, see, this is one of the things when we become a Christian. 
It isn't just apple pie and the sweet by and by, but really what it is, is that God begins to build into us how he's going to use us. God knows how he's going to use you and me in the days to come. But he knows that in order to have that built into us, there's things we have to go through. And as painful, I believe, as it was for Joseph to be traded on by his brothers, what's even worse, sold into slavery, and for his father written off as dead, God wasn't done with Joseph. And God's not done with you. And you might have come in here today reluctantly, maybe saying, well, I don't know. I might go to church one more time just to say, by the way, that one more time thing does make a difference. It did in my life. I was fed up with church. I remember my mom comes in. I was about 17 years old. She flips the light on in my room. And she said, uh, time to go to church. And I go, I don't want to go. Oh, I failed, you know, kind of thing. I, I just said, no, I don't want to go. Because what, what happened is it, it seems so, it, it just seemed like hypocrisy to me. Now, yeah, was that my fault? Probably. But God was actually moving. I was raised in church. I don't have the cross and the switchblade testimony as many of you perhaps do or know people that do. I had the cross and the butter knife. I didn't have all the drugs saying, oh, yeah, oh, we used to go and watch the walls melt on the floor. No, I didn't do any of that stuff. But I, I, I got tired of religion. I was looking for Jesus, but I didn't want religion. And to me, the suits and the ties, the, the, the whole thing just kind of got to me. I didn't want to go anymore. Uh, and, and, and I remember, I remember I visited a church and this church kept sending me these things and, um, and I, I thought, well, they, the pastor said he got filled with the Spirit. And I, you know, I knew what that was. I, I, I don't know why it was such a big mystery for them at that church. But they kept sending me these things come here uh, and they invited me to a concert. And I, I told my friend Jim, I said, Jim, maybe, we'll, maybe there's be some cute girls out there. So let's, let's go see what's out there. And it was, it, it was a band. And I'm going... Oh yeah, this will be great. 16 singing men. Ain't it a beautiful day? I'm 18. We pile in my van. We take off. We go to this church. And I walked in. And I remember as I walked in the door, I saw something I never saw before. I, I saw, and now you got to remember, this is back at right about 1971, 72, right, right kind of the middle of the Jesus movement. And there were people up on the stage with long hair playing guitars, and I saw people in the in the you know in the seats. Someone halter tops, and someone wingtips, and someone suits, and someone swimsuits on. I'm going, I never seen this before, because where I'd always been, we only like people who look like us. And here's all these street people all over, and they're there listening and singing about Jesus. And I said, this is really weird. I took my girlfriend out there and I said, I said, come out and see this, Sandy. She, so she, she went out there and, and she looked at it and she saw that and she ran out of the building. And I ran out after her. I said, where are you going? She goes, there are Jesus freaks in there. And I said, yeah, they are. And, and, I, and, and, and so I ran up. And, and the thing is, I have found that to some, the attraction of the Holy Spirit will draw you to God and for others will run away. 
But God begins to prepare us for what he's going to do in our life. And I remember sitting there and I just, I was, I was in the, I was about, oh, in, in, in the building. I was about third row from the back in kind of the middle of the row. And, and, I, and everybody was singing like we were this morning. And I, I just fell to my knees and I said, Lord, thank you for letting me come here. Because, see, I'd given up. I, 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 thought, I thought religion and God, it was all kind of gobbledygook. And then I saw Jesus. And that's what made the difference. And see, God, just as it was with Joseph, was preparing him. And those were some pretty hard days to go through because you, you didn't know who to believe. You didn't know what to believe. The, the whole world was in a, in, a, in a turmoil back then. And I remember that, that God began to put into me a foundation for how God would use me in the future. And yes, it was uncomfortable. I, I, I broke up with my girlfriend. It was over. And, and um, we, we, it was just kind of a weird thing. But you know, God prepares us for what he's going to do in our lives in the days to come. And you know, even when God is using us where he wants us to be, there's still that preparation that he's building for what he's going to use us more in the future. And so this morning, I just want to encourage all of you, as it was with Joseph, his brothers turned on him. You may be the only Christian in your whole home. You may say, hey, God's going to do good things in my life. And they laugh at you and make fun of you. And they basically don't want to have anything to do with you. Christmas and Thanksgiving are coming up and you're one of the do not invite people. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have his hand on you. And one of the great problems that we find is we begin to believe the voice in our head rather than the word of God that says the very good work that I begun in you, I will finish. God started a work in you. God doesn't pick losers. And the Bible tells us he's bigger than the things that we've done wrong and bigger than the things that people have done to us. Letting God be God. Joseph was just a young boy. And the Bible tells us that he goes and he was there to bring a report back to his dad. And they got him. They were going to kill him. Instead, they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And he sold down in Egypt to the captain of a guard, Potiphar. And there, whereas we'll get into the story a little bit later, we're going to see how God used Joseph in a most amazing way to save not only his family through the famine, but the Messiah who was to come through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has a plan. This morning, I pray that you understand that plan that God would have for your life. It isn't that God has favorites. Well, it's really nice, Mike, God, what God did for you. I always, it's a funny thing, because uh, I always thought, well, you know, it, it's good for him to say that, but would God ever use me that way? He did. God will use you. And don't think, because, but all it requires, well, you, you, you got to do a lot of, no, all you got to do is just fall in love with Jesus. Go back and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? I want to be about your kingdom. 
How can I advance you? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all the other things will be added unto you. But we don't do that today. We seek our own first. If there's any left over here, Jesus, have, a, have this, have a scrap. But when you do it the other way around, God takes care of you. And I just want to encourage you to do that. Jacob had this son that he loved. Joseph was the one that was to bring the messages back to his dad. And his brothers hated him. That's why I believe church is important, friends. Because because the world doesn't recognize God in your life, what he'll do is, is they don't recognize that. You need people around you who love Jesus that do recognize God in your life. That do say, hey, I'll pray for you. I don't know everything you're going through, but I'm here to pray for you. And you know, God honors prayers. The one thing about, uh, about we have to always remember about God, God is the God of miracles. Somebody said to me one time, I've shared this many times, but why was God such a God of miracles in the Bible and he doesn't do miracles today? He does do miracles today, just like he always has. Most of us never live close enough to the edge to need a miracle. But you know, that's a great place to be because that's where the power of God is. Because that's where God manifests. When there is no other way possible, God says, watch this. And you go, wow, that's pretty awesome. There's a song years ago that, uh, from the Jesus movement. It's Jesus, he's a way maker. He's a way maker. One day he made a way for me. When my heart was dark and dreary, Jesus came and he answered my prayer. He made a way for me. He'll make a way for you. And you see, that's what you need. And it doesn't matter what everybody else says. They don't know God. They don't see God in your life. But you know God and God is preparing you. But God, if you love me, why do I got to go through being sold in Egypt to Potiphar? Why did my brothers have to do this to me? Why did they have to put me in a pit and starve me of water and, and all those things? Why did they have to lie about me and say I was dead to my dad when I wasn't even dead at all? You see, God was preparing him for what he was going to do. To save the world. You see, it's kind of neat, really. Every day is a new box that God gives each one of us that belong to him. Now, if you're not a Christian, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you're a Christian, every day God gives you a, a, a little box. And you say, what's in the box? I don't know. And what's in the box that God gave you is different than the box that God gave me. But I know this, unless I pray and open it, I'll never know what's in there, what God has for you and me today. I've opened the box sometimes. And I'll look at it. I'll go, what's this? You ever done that? Only to find later on in the day or the week, or your life. I know what that part's for. God builds us the way he wants us. 
You see, when we accept Christ as our Savior, you not only got eternal life, but you've got the construction company of the universe working in your life. I like that. And letting God be God is so important. You may not understand what you're going through, and nowhere in the Bible does it say, understand thou knowest all things about thy life today. No, it just simply says, trust and obey. Trusting God says, okay, I don't understand this. God, you've given me a box of life. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to see what you have for me today, and I'm going to keep going. And the devil comes along and says, yeah, but in your box you got something you don't know what it is. And, and, and if you don't know what it is, then there's something wrong with you and you just better go jump off the bridge. I bet, I won't ask for hands, but I, I bet you'd be surprised how many people in this room today have been thought and tempted by suicide this week. Why is that? The devil knows the potential that you possessed armed with the Spirit of God as he builds into you that foundation for what he's going to use you in the future. And friends, that's what the devil doesn't want. That's why he wants to stop you right where you're at. That's why the, why the when Jesus was born, Herod said, kill all the babies, two years of age and under. Joseph, being warned in a dream, took baby Jesus and Mary to Egypt. You see, He knew what he was going to be. The world knows the potential of what God's going to use you for. Don't let them win. And you come in here, and this is one of the reasons why I think church is important. You may have had a great week. Everything went your way. You got all your little brass buttons shined on the front of your coat. That's good. I want you to shine somebody's buttons that have been through a real tough time this week. Because maybe next week you're going to need someone to help you. See, that's the family of God. That's, the, that's how we work together in the body of Christ. I've shared this before. I believe in the days to come. And I don't know what this is going to happen with the election because there are, it's widespread known voter fraud. It's not even a question. It is. CBS says, oh, there's no signs of voter fraud. They're smoking dope, skipping rope. They found 130,000 votes in Michigan. 130,000 votes. Not one for Trump. All for Biden. We all know that's fraud. I I don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't make any difference. The point is, you know out of 130,000 votes, you're going to find at least a few voting for the other guy. They weren't even smart enough to fraud that and put that in there. Over 600,000 votes are in question right now. Friends, how this turns out might not be real good. Because if they do find that, in fact, it was fraud, which everyone pretty much knows it is, the people that are rejoicing that Biden got in, if they reverse this, they're not going to be happy. They're going to want to riot. And the people that, that right now are the other way, we're not. So the potential of civil unrest in the days to come, friends, to me is extremely high. What does that do? That cuts off all your food supplies. That cuts off your gas. That cuts off everything. Depends. You kind of go into a civil war. 
General Boykin, four-star general that Shannon Scolton uh, interviewed when she went back to the National Day of Prayer with Franklin Graham and, and Jonathan Kahn. When she went back there, she interviewed him and she said, she said, how close do you think we are to a civil war? And he said, we are already in one. It just hasn't turned into the streets yet. And I, 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 was, I was stunned. But the thing is, that's the world. That's what the world's always going to do. But you're the family of God. And we need to encourage, bless, heal, restore because the world does want to beat us up. And as God uses each one of you and the world tries to pull you down like Joseph's brothers did, you got a family of God around you that'll pick you up and pull you up and bless you and encourage you. That's good to know. Over the course of a lifetime, God always shows us his blessing. Be about your father's business. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you got some issues. Because here's why. You have no one restoring you. You're listening to your friends, and I appreciate that, but they don't really know what you need in your life. You realize how complex you are? All the ingredients that go into your life, all the experiences you've had in your life, the people you've met, the things you've done. Oh, we're complex beings. You need somebody that knows you better than yourself to plot your course. But you're out there trying to do it by going to your friends, Ouija boards, Ann Landers, uh, you know, horoscopes, you name it. We'll, we'll, people will do anything but go to God. And God comes along and says, Come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How come you're labor and heavy laden? Because you're trying to figure it out yourself. And we wear ourselves out trying to to do it on our own. And God says, you'll never be able to do it on your own because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I do. Okay, God. Now, to get right with God. Boy, religion really, really runs the gamut here. All the kind of religious stuff they have you do. Reciting church mantras, feeling your beads, selling flowers in airports, wearing orange, eating organically grown food. You know the whole gamut. Where's you out? That's what religion does. And then you never really know if you're saved or not because you don't know if you did enough. The good news of the gospel is you can be saved right now. Jesus made it that easy. Not based upon money, not based upon looks, not based upon education. He just said, come unto me, all your labor, heavy laden. You might want to put yourself in there. What is laboring you? What is burdening you? I'll give you rest. You need rest. Can't sleep at night if you don't have rest. I'll give you rest. This morning, if you're tired of running from the sins you can't erase... I just invite you to come to Jesus and become born again right now. Not a process you begin. Immediate transformation. The Bible says you pass from death unto life. Immediate. I like that. 
It's not a series of graduations. It's not, well, you know, and once you get to this plateau, then you hit this plateau, and then this plateau. What a wonderful view from up here. No, that's not the way God does it. He just says, right now, right where you are. You know, that's what Jesus did to the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, his salvation prayer was pretty simple. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. He didn't have to sign a pledge card or nothing. He just instantly was changed. This morning, if you're not born again, I want to invite you to pray. And cease from trying to define life your way. That's what it is. And God will change you if you'll ask him to. And God then begins these things in our life for his kingdom and your serving your king down the road. He begins, see, I got to give God permission. It's, it's like your, your car needs, it, 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 they send you a notice in the mail. Your airbag will blow up and blow your head off. I got one of those in the mail, by the way. I don't know if anybody else got one of those. Don't drive your car. The airbag will blow up and, and shards, it said shards and something else, will come blowing out of this thing. Gee, I feel so safe. Um, but I, I, the thing is, they can't fix it unless I bring it to them. God won't fix your heart unless you're willing to bring it to him. Surrender it right now and God will fix your life. We're going to pray. If you have never prayed, maybe it's been a long time you prayed. Maybe the last time you were praying, you were in jackpot praying for a a jackpot. Maybe get serious with God today and say, okay, God, I I surrender. Because that's what's going to make the difference. And then God builds into you. Oh, Not any way the world does. If you need to pray right now, let's just pray. Saints, you help them out. Let's all pray. And and, and just ask God to do something brand new in our lives. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I give you full permission to change my life any way you want to. So I will be most used by you. I want to lay up treasure in heaven. Where the things of this world do not take it away. And so fill me with your Holy Spirit. That I'll have the power to love others and love you. And I thank you for dying on the cross for me and your blood covering my sins. And so now write my name in your book of life that I get to live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.